back. Wonderful. We're going to uh, jump straight into uh, my message today, which um, is a brief pause in our Savior series. Uh, and the reason for that is I was just reading the psalm in our Bible reading plan on Friday, and I just felt uh, with the psalm and the, some of the stuff that's going on in our country, does anyone ever feel like you can't keep up with the news? You kind of think, I was just getting over yesterday's stuff, and what? Seriously? Like, it's, it's like, you know, someone gets announced as the new prince, uh, king of the, of the Zulu nation. Next minute, he's rushed out of a meeting, and someone's going to kill him, and then you've got to read the will, and then the NEC are meeting, and then Ace is there, then he's not there. Hectic. Huh? And so, I was reading Psalm 36, and I just felt, actually, I want to pastor you from this psalm. And so, we're going to pause. Next week, we'll jump back into Luke, but won't you turn... Uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 36. Luke, can you put the, the first slide up? The title for my slide is uh, really a little pattern that you're going to see in the Psalm, and I want to pastor you as to what to do when you face evil, when you see evil, when you experience evil, when you feel dismay in your heart, what do you do with that? And so there's three uh, steps in the Psalm. Lament, look again, and pray. Why do I want to pass to you from the psalm? Well, really because as human beings, but as South Africans, we have a common experience as human beings. We have this experience individually, and we have this experience corporately as South Africans, where we are faced regularly with evil, with injustice, with being disappointed, with being let down, with being shocked by what you hear or, or see on the news. And today, I felt to use this psalm, therefore, to pastor you, because there's just such a flood of scandals and greed and corruption and leadership squabbles over power that just fills the economy and education and um, fighting for justice and maintaining infrastructure and good governance and delivery of services. Those things seem to be ignored while we have all this rubbish in the public space. And so I want to pass to you because of the, the, the moment that we're in as a country. We, we live in a crazy moment as a country. But I also want to pass to you because all of our lives, we will face evil at times. We will face evil people. We will face situations where this is not godly. And what should we do? And so I want to give you a quick overview of the psalm, Psalm City. 36, really I'm going to break it down into the three parts that you see there. Verses 1 to 4 is a lament about evil people. Verses 5 to 9 is look again at the love of God, the steadfast love of God. And then verses 10 to 12 are a prayer on the basis of the lament and the looking again at who God is. So let's jump right into it. And I believe this little pattern that you can see here is something that you can remember. You can write that down and remember that when you face evil, this is a pattern to follow. Amen. So let's jump in with lament, starting in verse 1. As always, I'm going to read from the ESV, although I'm going to switch translation later, uh, just because of the wording in one of the translations. Verse 1 and 2. Transgression, that means sin. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself with his, in his own eyes. 
that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. You know, the psalmist here in these first two lines agrees with Jesus. Young man, your dad's there. There we go, connected. The psalmist, as the psalmist is, is writing here, the psalmist agrees with Jesus. How does he agree with Jesus? Wickedness, when you see evil, it's not simply a matter of external behavior. It's not just what someone did or what they said. Wickedness, according to Scripture, is rooted in the heart. Where does wickedness start? It doesn't start on the outside. It doesn't start with what you do or say. It starts inside the heart. Jesus said that in Matthew 15. Transgression or sin speaks to the wicked person deep within their heart. So when you look at the news and when you see despicable things that people have done to other people, femicide and rape and murders and, and corruption and oppression, when we see how leaders plot and plan corruption, when they steal from the poor and the vulnerable, we shouldn't be surprised. Believers, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be looking at the news saying, oh, I can't believe it. No, you can. Because wickedness starts inside the evil of our hearts. This sort of stuff is not new. I keep hearing a narrative like I can't believe like the world's getting worse. No, it's not. The world's always been terrible. From Genesis chapter 3 Sin entered the world, and by Genesis chapter 4, there's a murder. If you've read the Bible, there is wickedness and evil all through human history. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be surprised when we see people acting like this. This behavior that you witness on your news feeds is the result of a moral corruption in the human heart. Anyone who is outside of God Rob read it this morning, you were dead in your sin and your transgressions before God. Anyone who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus is dead in their heart. They are morally corrupt outside of God. The problem in the whole world, not just South Africa, is sin. That's the problem in the whole world. And so don't be surprised, believer in Jesus, when people who are outside of Jesus do despicable things. Grieve over it, yes, but don't be shocked. Because human beings are not inherently good. They are inherently evil. Outside of God, the human heart is evil. Romans 3.10 doesn't give us any hope here. It says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one. So don't be surprised when you encounter evil. And this is why we needed a Savior, Jesus. Because no one is good on the planet. Not one. But there was one. His name is Jesus. Let's carry on. Uh, but we're going to reread it in the NLT translation, verses 1 and 2. That translation says this. Sin whispers to the wicked. Have you ever felt sin whispering to you? Huh? Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, and their blind pride, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Have you seen that before? 
They are so wicked, they are so blind to their wickedness, they can't even see that they're wicked. Brothers and sisters, this passage tells us that sin whispers so deceptively deep within the human heart of the wicked person that they lose all sense. They are blinded to, what, to what's really true about them. They are blinded about what's true about God. They can't see who God really is. And because of that, they don't relate to God as they ought to, and they don't relate to people as they ought to either. They don't fear God at all, even though Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, fear is the beginning of wisdom. Well, the opposite is true. If you don't fear God, if you've listened to the whispers of sin, if you're morally corrupt in your heart, you don't fear God at all. And that is a terrible path that you go down. And so their morally corrupt hearts cause them to have a wrong view of God and therefore a wrong relationship with God. And that wrong view of God and relationship with God leads to a wrong view of other people as having no real value other than if they're helping me. And I can stand on people and kill people and push people aside as long as I get what I want. They can't even see how wicked they are. They're so enamored with themselves that they are blind to their sin. Let's pick up verses 3 and 4 back in the SV. The words of this person, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. Sounds like many a politician. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. There's just no good in this person. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. He kind of embraces it. The wicked person's mouth is filled with trouble, it's filled with deceit, it's filled with lies. Such things come from somewhere. They flow out of a morally corrupt heart. That's what Jesus said. They didn't start here, they started here. They started inside. And such a person has stopped acting wisely because they don't fear God, they're not wise. That's what Proverbs 9.10 says. And so they've stopped acting wisely and they don't do good. They've set their path on a trajectory that is not God's way. Aren't you astounded how people in commissions, some of the, the most famous commissions that we've got right now in our country and even in our history, commissions that are meant to uncover the truth, Aren't you astounded how someone can stand in the dock and they've been told that this is to be, to, you need to tell the truth here, and they can stand in the dock and they can keep lying in the face of mountains of evidence to the contrary, but they just stand there and they just lie. Or how politicians or business people in this country have stolen millions and millions and millions from people in our country, but they claim to be clean. No corruption here. The psalmist isn't astounded. You see, this is what's to be expected by morally corrupt people. Such people plot trouble and they sin and, and sin. They think about how they can sin when they're alone in their beds. This is what they're dreaming of. They set themselves on a path that is not only not going to be good for them, but it's not going to be good for other people either. You might be saying, okay, Gareth, I came to church to be encouraged. You know, you're just not hitting the mark right now. Isn't it a bit morbid, focusing on all the details of evil people? I don't believe it's morbid at all. I believe it's essential. This is why it's essential. 
You see, if you're going to lament, which is a biblical word, then you have to face the problem full on. Lament isn't just sweeping it under the carpet and pretending it's not there. That's lying. That's pretending to be forgetful. That's trying to just go, don't think about the white elephant, don't think about the white elephant. Lament means looking at evil in its face, looking at what's wrong with what's going on here, and then doing something with it. Lament doesn't brush over or minimize what is in front of it. Brothers and sisters, with the flood of bad news and horrific news and surprising news that hits us almost every day, I believe that we as Christ followers are in danger of being numbed of being dulled when we hear of another wife who's been killed or girlfriend who's been killed. There was just on Friday, guy opens the door, bang, 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 shoots his wife dead. Did you even, did you just read on? Another wife, another girlfriend killed, another woman or young girl raped. We don't even deal with millions anymore, now we're dealing with billions when it comes to corruption. Did you, note that? Did you note the transition? We're not hundreds of thousands, we, then we're millions, now we're billions. And, and we just, oh, I wonder what the soccer score was. If you're not careful, there's so much bad news, but because we haven't processed it, you just get numb to it, because how can I process all of it? I actually believe a proper lament is to be sensitized, to face what's in front of you, not desensitized, to look at its magnitude and the despicableness of it, and then to do something with that, to stand for justice, to stand for the oppressed, so that we can cry out to God in prayer. You see, if you're numbed or if you're dulled or if it doesn't even hit you, then you won't do anything about it. You won't pray. You won't act. Fellow South Africans, as Christ followers, I believe we need to lament. When there, not if, when there is bad news, when we are faced with evil, we need to get on our knees and we need to lament before God. We should cry out to God concerning the evil that we witness almost daily. But as we turn our eyes to God, as we, as we face the evil and we turn to God with the evil that we faced, an amazing thing happens. And we see it in the psalm. We encounter and we experience the goodness and the love of God, which brings us to our second point in the psalm. Look again at the steadfast love of God. Let's read verses 5 to 9 in the ESV. So you start with facing evil, but as you turn to God in prayer, you, you are overwhelmed by the goodness of God, and we'll see this in the psalm. The psalmist writes, your steadfast love, that's like your faithful love, your never-ending love. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep man and beast. You save. You're the God who saves, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge under the shadow of your wings. The pictures of God kind of like, a, like a, a mother hen gathering all the chicks and protecting them. <coughs> 
They feast on the abundance of your house. God's not stingy. And you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Can you see the contrast between verses 1 and 4 and 5 to 9? What an amazing contrast. Against the backdrop of the darkness of the evil that the psalmist has been contemplating, he turns to God, and it's not that that doesn't exist, but God's greatness and God's glory and God's love is so amazing that his vision is no longer filled with evil, it's filled with God. God's love is loyal and it is faithful. It can be trusted. It is unchanging. Its magnitude reaches the heavens in the New Testament. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul prays about this love that is higher and wider and deeper and longer and stronger than any other love. It's the love, according to Ephesians uh, 3.18, that surpasses knowledge. You cannot get your head around the love of God. That's how big it is. We cannot wrap our little heads around it. It blows our spiritual fuses because God's love is so great. The psalmist tries to describe the love of God. Just look at the way he does it. He says, God, your steadfast love, it reaches to the heavens. God, your moral goodness, your righteousness is like the mountains. It's immovable, it's unchanging. It's full of splendor and glory. Your justice is deeper than the deepest ocean trench that we haven't even been able to get to the bottom of. Your justice is deeper than that, God. God, you're the God who loves to save. You save us. God, your love is precious to me. It is worthy of admiration. It is worthy of cherishing. It is worthy of delighting in. God, your love is a safe place of protection for those who need refuge. God, your love is abundant. You are not stingy. You are good and you are generous. God, your love is the only thing that can truly satisfy it. It is the river of delights. It is where we truly find our joy. God's love is the fountain that springs up inside of us and sustains us. Jesus said in John 7, 37, I will give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be a river of living water, a spring of life inside of you. And God's love is light. And I think when I think about that, I think God's love changes what I see. You know, when the light turns on, I can see things. God's love changes my perspective so that I can see differently. Because when we see God rightly, we see all other things and all other people rightly too. God's love is light. Brothers and sisters, our greatest need in South Africa right now is not a new political party or a new leader or better police or a justice system that works or an economy that fires. That is not our greatest need. Just tell the person next to you. Mike, tell Rob. Tell them. It's not what we need. You might even say, I need a job, unemployment. That's our greatest need. It's not what you need. This is what you need. You need a clear biblical view of your God. That's what you need. You need to be more in awe of God. That's what you need. 
You need to encounter God like the psalmist did. That's what you need. The more evil we witness and we experience, the more we need a big biblical view of God. The psalmist contemplates, laments over evil, verses 1 to 4, but then 5 to 9, he sees God, and we need the same. South Africans are really good at describing all the problems they see in South Africa and deciding whose fault it is. Would you agree? Well, that's our national sport, complaining. But as Christ followers, I want us to become experts at something else. Facing the fact of evil and then seeing and encountering and being able to describe God and His love. I want you to get good at that. So I'm going to give you some practice right now. Just find a partner. Quickly, find a partner. Team up with someone, okay? And you are going to, in just a moment, you are going to write your own verses 5 to 9. You might just do it in your head. So you're going to take just a minute and tell the other person about the goodness of God in as many words as you can. Okay, the psalmist, all the yellow stuff. You're going to do that for someone else. So just think for a moment, how am I going to tell this person about the goodness of God? Okay? So at the moment, you're thinking for yourself. Has everyone got a, got a partner? Some of you haven't moved at all. Okay, have you got a partner? Okay, you can move in church. It's fine. Okay, if you don't have a partner, put up your hand. Okay, have you got your partner? Okay, now ignore your partner for a moment. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about how am I going to tell this person about the goodness of God, just like the psalmist did, in your own words. Maybe it's three things or five things. Just think. And then when I tell you, you're going to go, bang, and you're going to tell each other about the goodness of God. Because we're going to get expert at remembering the goodness of God rather than complaining. Okay, so don't share yet. Just think. Think about what's greatest about God, His love. Okay, go. Share with one another with all the preacher's passion you've got in you. Come on, tell it like you mean it. And make sure you both have a turn. Hallelujah. Okay, 30 more seconds.
Let's all say a big amen together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give yourselves a round of applause. Wouldn't it be great to have some of you guys put that stuff down in writing? Wouldn't it be great to have some modern day Psalms? Now, we're not going to add them to the Bible because there's, there's good evidence to say that's not good. But wouldn't it be great in worship to have someone stand up and say, I just want to tell you about the goodness of God, and you've like written your own five to nine, and you just suddenly go, bah, and we all go, wah. That's how it goes. You go, bah, and we go, wah. I want to encourage you to write down the goodness of your God, to celebrate it. The psalmist faces laments. He laments the evil before him. Why don't you just go to the next slide, Luke? He, he laments at the evil before him. Next one, please. He looks again at prayer. There's a and then, on the back of that, he turns to prayer. There's only two, uh, three verses of prayer in this psalm. Let's look at how he prays. And I'm going to read it from the Holman Christian Standard Bible just because I like it. This is what it says. This is his prayer. God, spread your faithful love over those who know you. God, so remember, he's facing evil, seeing God. Then his prayer is, God, would you, I kind of imagine this big like rug or these wings like that he's already mentioned in verse 7. Spread your faithful love over those who know you, your righteousness over the upright in heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant man come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers fall. He's already seen the answer to his prayer. I'm going to see evil people fall. They have been thrown down and they're not going to get up again because God's dealt with them. A grand biblical vision of God is the foundation for any real prayer. And I often say in this church, it's not who prays, it's not how many people pray, it's not how long you pray, it's not even the words you pray that really matters, it's who you're praying to that matters. If you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Why? Because you take your mustard seed-sized prayer and you pray to God. Mountain, no problem. Do you get it? But you've got to have a huge view of who God is as you won't pray. And if you do pray, you won't pray with any assurance or confidence because, you know, if you pray to me, it's like, cool, thanks for saying that, but I can't help you at all. But if you pray to God, he is able to do all things. He has placed all things under Jesus' feet for the church. Jesus holds everything together. That's what Colossians says. And he is praying for you. So it's not who prays. It's not how many you pray. It's not how long you pray. It's not even the exact words you pray, but it's who you're praying to that really matters. And so this psalmist effectively prays, God, 
Would you stretch out your faithful, steadfast love over those who know you? In the face of such evil in our days, would you stretch out your righteous protection over those who love you? Will you please protect our lives from arrogant and wicked people? And will you deliver us from such evil people? Will you deliver us from evil itself? God, would you overthrow evil for us? You know, when you know that God loves you, you can pray with confident assurance. Brothers and sisters, as we come to the close in this psalm, here in 2021, as we stand at this point in redemption history, so we're standing over here, and the psalmist is somewhere over there. He wrote the psalm over there, and he, he prayed for God to spread his love and his protection and to deliver him from evil. But in between here and the psalmist is Jesus on the cross. Answering this psalmist's prayer in the most remarkable way that the psalmist could never have imagined because Jesus didn't just spread his love over you. He gave his life for you. He died for you so that the love of God could be poured into your hearts. The faithful love of God could be spread over you forever and ever and ever if you trust in him. And he defeated sin, Satan, and death on the cross forever. This prayer was answered in Jesus. And so as we look back, we don't just see evil and, you know, there's some evil people. We see sin, Satan, and death conquered by Jesus. So when you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus, your victory. Amen? Oh, I've got goosebumps. When you wake up in the morning, the devil shudders because you're a believer in Jesus. If you start getting on your knees, he's like, oh no, oh no. Your enemy is nothing compared to you because you've believed in Jesus and you stand in the victory. Friends, we'll see despicable things in front of us. Don't despair. Lament. Look at God again. Fill your vision. And then on the back of that, with the reality of what's happened and with the reality of the truth of who God is, pray. Not with many words, but with confident assurance because you know your God. Amen? So we're going to do one more thing, is we're going to break bread together. And so what I want you to do is to come and arm yourself with the elements of communion and go back to your seats. And then we're going to do this a little bit differently. So uh, arm yourself with the elements of communion. And then this is your only instruction. You're not allowed to go back to your husband or wife or to the seat that you're in or to anyone that you know really well, you to find someone you don't know and stand next to them with the communion stuff. And then I'll tell you what to do next. Amen. Don't you just love it when Gareth does things like this? Okay, so you move around the room, keep your face mask on, but get with the... You can be in groups of two or three, but let's not make any bigger than that. You can go anywhere in the room, and then I'm going to lead you through communion. Here's this awkward moment. It's like a dance where you've got to find someone. Okay, just choose someone. You can spread throughout the whole room. Take your space. You can move the chairs if you want.
Okay, let's quickly find each other. You're not going to be with these guys for long. It's not like a lifelong commitment. Look for people that are looking left out and just include them. Okay, if you're by yourself, just wave your hands. There's a young man there. He needs, needs a friend. Okay, he's got a friend. He's got another friend coming. Okay, listen up. This is what I want us to do. Brothers and sisters, as you hold the elements of communion, I want to remind you that we are to have biblical expectations. Humanity outside of God is wicked. It's morally corrupt. Amen? So don't be surprised. Next time you see evil, hear evil, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening. We will be disappointed. We will see despicable things, but don't despair. But what I want you to do is to lament, to face evil full on, to take it head on, to fill your vision with God, and then to pray. Remember His amazing love. What you're holding there, just look at those elements. This is the summit. This is the high point. This is the pinnacle of the love of God, that God would die for you to save you from Himself because you couldn't save yourself. As you look at the, the elements of communion, no, this is faithful love. This is steadfast love. This is love that will go on forever and ever and ever. And so then you can pray in confidence. So what I want you to do, here's your instructions. Firstly, I want you to lament before you share communion. Or just share one short thing, like 20 seconds, that you're lamenting about our country right now. Okay? Just share something that's just... a it grieves you. Just a short thing. Then I want you to look at God. And so you're going to take communion together. You're going to take the bread. You're going to take the, uh, the grape juice. And as you do, you can just say, thank you, Jesus, that this reminds me who you are. This is the pinnacle of who you are. And then as a group, just pray over the things that you've lamented and give them to God. Can we do that? Do you understand? So you first, you're just going to share one thing that you're lamenting about, about South Africa right now. Then you're going to take communion together, share communion, thank God for Jesus, and then pray over the things that you've lamented, because our, our country really is in a time that needs prayer. Amen.